0: You're listening to the Bay Christian Family Church podcast. Praise God as you see that. Open your Bible at Hebrews chapter 4. God intended for us to enjoy life the way He designed for it to be enjoyed. You understand the enemy comes to try and steal that word, to kill and to destroy. We understand that no weapon formed against us prospers. And any tongue that rises against us, we condemn. At the name of Jesus, every knee bows. Hallelujah. We are blessed. I said we are blessed. And it's in that blessing that we want to walk. See the full power of that blessing. Have a look at Hebrews chapter 4 once again. There remains a promise of entering God's rest. Let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. Indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. How do you understand that God gives us principles? He shows us how life works. This is something we must understand. God's not just trying to control everybody as a control freak. He's a father who's given birth to children, and he wants you to enjoy his kingdom to its full extent. But his kingdom operates on principles. And those principles are there by design. And they enable us to live. That's why when you see a young child, a baby that's just been born, and as it grows up, you notice it experiments and it does different things and it falls down and it stands up, it bangs its head, it drops things, it does. But it's always experimenting. What's it doing? It's growing and it's learning the principles. When you watch a little baby trying to walk, it can hardly even stand. And then one day when it's walking, you wonder, how did it get there? But you look at yourself. You, you, you can do all kinds of things and you, your body holds itself upright. Why? Because your body's fine-tuned to the principles. Are you with me? So the same way in the kingdom of God, God gives us certain principles. And then as we study them out and learn them and grow in them, we experience the kingdom the way God wants us to experience it. So God gives them the principles, but it didn't work for them. Why? Because they didn't apply it. They didn't put it into action the way he gave it to them to do. And so he goes on and he says "Yeah, verse 3, we who believe do enter that rest. Amen. How many you want to enter into the rest that God has designed for you? Well, it's going to take believing, but not just believing, also action. And then he says he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. Everybody says Sabbath. And God rested on that seventh day from all his works. Now, if this is your first time here, you understand we have been spending a lot of time with us. And we discovered that Sabbath is a principle, not a just a day of religion. It is a principle that God established in days, in years, and in principle of the concept of jubilee, uh, where he set debt free. But then when Jesus came, he established jubilee as an action of faith, not as a matter of time. See, the supernatural life understands that time is no longer necessary in the equation. Sometimes we do need time, but it's our servant. If we want time If you want to bypass time, you're able to do that by faith. And so that's all as God leads us and as he directs, but he gives us those principles to be able to live the Sabbath whenever we need it. Hallelujah. And so verse 9, there remains a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So let's be diligent to enter that rest. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Now, remember we said we had to look last time what the therefore was there for? And we saw in chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Consider. What's that mean? Think about it. Put attention to it. Don't just think, yes, Jesus is your Lord and your Savior. That's the primary purpose. He came to the earth was to pay for your son and mine and rise from the dead to prove the Father satisfied. You receive him as Lord and Savior, you are saved. So you begin your Christian walk with Jesus as your Savior. Now that you're saved, his ministry is still in the process of saving because we understand we saving our soul. We understand that we still need salvation in different areas, whether it's healing or financial or emotions or relationships. Uh, The salvation wasn't just to get you out of hell into heaven. It was to save you from everything that the curse tries to bring against you. So now, in that position, how do I receive the ministry of Jesus? He says you must consider the apostle, the sent one. He was sent for a purpose as a high priest. Everybody say high priest. Now, he's the high priest of our confession. So you understand that living the life of faith is a life of confession? Spirit of faith is having believed, I speak. We're not going to study that today because we've spent a lot of time in it and we will again in the future. But for today, I want to focus on this concept of him as our high priest. Everybody say high priest. Look at verse 18. To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey. So we see they could not enter rest because of unbelief. Now how is unbelief manifested? When we don't do what's called. If If we ask to do something and then we don't do it, that would be a form of unbelief because we're saying we, we're either afraid of doing it or we're afraid of being exposed or we're not sure or we don't believe it's necessary. There's, you can see how unbelief can be a root of it. So God gave them a promise, but they were still locked into the world system. They want to go back to Egypt where they were given food and they were given housing and they were given, even though it was under bondage, it's like you know the good old bad old day. It was so much better back then. No, you were under bondage. Don't let the enemy ever fool you that bondage is a better way. No, we want the life of freedom. How do you say amen to that? And so he goes on and says in verse 14, seeing then we have a great high priest. Well, well, that's where you've got to chapter 4, verse 1. It says, therefore the promise remains. Then you go down to verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. In other words, he is now high priest of our confession, so what must we do? Hold fast. What does hold fast mean? It means stay consistent. Don't let go of it. Now, why would he tell us to hold fast our confession? Because you can't give up on that confession. When will that happen? When the attacks keep coming and it seems like everything's contrary to what he said. That's the whole purpose behind unbelief, is that the supernatural life requires living by faith. It's the substance of things, hopefully the evidence of things, not seen. So the enemy will use every form of fear Every every thought of doubt, every thought of unbelief, he'll use everything he can to unhook our faith. How does he do that? Through fear. And if he can get us through fear, we'll step, if we ever get to the place where you say, I just don't see how that works. I can't see that ever happening. I I don't believe that. Well, now we're in a state of unbelief, and that will nullify the ability of faith to produce in our lives what God wants to bring to pass. So it's that unbelief, that we must combat. And how do you do that? By holding fast to your confession, in the face of adverse circumstances, you refuse to give up on your confession. Verse chapter five, Hebrews chapter five, verse five. So also, Christ did not glory by himself to become high priest. He didn't stand up one day like a lot of people do and say, from you know, now now I'm apostle, prophet, most high, reverend, bishop. No, we don't self-appoint. We we are called. And in the calling, you recognize by your elders. And when you're recognized by your elders, there's a calling out. I don't have time to get into that, but say amen. So Jesus himself says the word says, He didn't decide he's high priest. The father named him high priest. It was he who said to him, the father said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And then he goes on and he also says in another place, you are priest forever. Say forever. According to the order of Melchizedek. He's quoting from there Psalm 110 verse 4. That was prophesying that Jesus would be called as a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death, was heard because of his godly fear. Isn't that amazing? Jesus was raised from the dead on his confession. In other words, the Father could not even raise Jesus from the dead unless Jesus had responded in faith. When did he do that? When he said on the cross, you will not forsake me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says, you will not leave my soul in hell. Isn't that right? He says, I commit to you my spirit. I commit to you my spirit. That whole, if you go and read that, we hear Uh, those those one or two words on the cross, that's what the hearer heard and recorded. But Jesus is quoting that psalm where he says, you will not leave me in hell. You will fetch me, you will get me out of here, and I commit my spirit to you. Hallelujah. And so now he is raised from the dead based on, that says, based on his faith. Verse 8, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the, the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. How many of you want to obey Jesus? Lift your hand and say, As I obey Jesus, he is the author of my eternal salvation. Verse 10: He was called by God as high priest. According to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. What's he saying? There's a lot to study about Melchizedek. But because I'm talking about entering a rest, because of unbelief, they could not enter their rest. And he says there's so much revelation to be had. But I'm struggling to get it across to you because of your dull of hearing. Family, God, when I saw that, I understood that Paul said in Galatians, he said everything that he learned wasn't by human instruction. It was by revelation. See, the things of the kingdom of God don't come by information. It comes by revelation. What does that mean? You understand that there's lots of different parts to a, a piece. It's like uh, someone asked me the other day if, they could, if I could help explain it. And then the way I got it was that, can you imagine how many of you have ever eaten cake? Now, now, if you've eaten cake or something like that, the reason I'm using that is because you use lots of different ingredients. There's flour, there's oil, there's eggs, there's sugar, there's yeast, some of it, sometimes baking powder, things like that. Now, you take all those ingredients and try and taste any of them on their own It doesn't taste like cake. Isn't that right? If you're eating cake, say, what's in here? And you say, there's sugar. Well, what's that if someone never knew? So you you tell them, this is sugar. They taste it. It's granular. It's it's sweet. But it's it's not cake. I I don't see that in cake. But it is in there. It's taking all the parts and you mix them in the right. See, that mixing of faith. Mixing it all together and you put it in the right environment, the right temperature, that slush, that mess, that goo turns into a fluffy, sweet, nice, tasting cake. Are you with me? Now, that is the revelation of all the ingredients put together. So if you analyze anyone on their own, who eats baking powder? I mean, you wouldn't eat that on its own. So sometimes when you study things out, you can look at one verse and say, I don't see that there. But you're, not, you're looking at the ABC, what's written at the moment. Then you take another verse and say, I don't see that. But what happens is the Word of God, as you study it, you read something over here, you read something over there, you read another thing over here, and all of a sudden, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that all gets mixed together because you're not turning it off by unbelief. I don't see that. I don't agree with that. No, that was only for the Israelites. That was only for those people. As long as we're doing that, you're keeping the ingredients separate. But as you take all the ingredients together and you allow the Holy Spirit, I want to believe. Let me see your kingdom. Paul did that. He took everything he'd learned under the law, and he says, "Under the law, I was dying. I, thought I was sinning more than I was supposed to because of the. It, it somehow drove me to sin. What I wanted to do, I didn't do. What I did want to do, I didn't do. And you know, so it's like, what do I do? And then he discovered the grace of. That enabled him to take all that information, but assimilate it in the realm of the spirit, and he got revelation. And he suddenly saw the kingdom. Now, if someone hasn't had that, doesn't allow that to happen, you can explain something in revelation, and they go, I don't see that. Because it has to come from within. And that's my purpose, is to give you all the ingredients, the different ingredients, mix them for you, and put you in the environment, and let's bake a bit, And, I never saw that before. See, there's the revelation. And that's what we're saying here. We don't want to be that dull of hearing. So what we're having a look here is Jesus. Now, under this concept of rest, God wants us in a place where we are fully rested. What does that mean? It means I'm fully dependent on him. I'm no longer dependent on my own strength, my own ability, my own intellect. Now, he gives that as gifts to us to be able to process things in life. But we're not led by the things of life. We're led by the Spirit of God. And so he wants us to be in a place where we're fully dependent. If he says, go, we go. If he says, don't, don't. If he says, give, give. If he says, take, you take. If he says, not today. Like Jesus said to his disciples, we want to take money bags. Another day he says, don't take any money. It was all based on instruction. And every time, whether they paid for themselves we said, this time don't take anything, you'll be looked after. They found out every way that he instructed worked for them. Hallelujah. And so we want to understand this concept because if you have a look at verse 10, he was called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, if Jesus is a high priest called according to the order of Melchizedek, And I want to understand my high priest, then if it's called according to the order of Melchizedek, we will need to study out Melchizedek so that you understand. He says, consider your high priest called according to that order. So we're going to take some time now and do a deep study on Melchizedek. And we'd like to do that. All right, let's go over to Genesis chapter 14. Now, just buckle in because this could take some time. Genesis chapter 14, verse 14. Now, Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive. That was Lot. He armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house, went in pursuit as far as Dan, and he divided his forces against them by night. He and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah which is north of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods. Everybody say all the goods. He also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the woman and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheba. That is the king's valley. After his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him. Verse 18. Then Melchizedek. Now we are introduced to this man. Our study begins. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. End of study. That is all we have on Melchizedek. Isn't that amazing? That's the full revelation that God has given about Melchizedek. And it says we must consider Jesus called according to this order. Well, there must be a reason that God would refer to this. If Jesus is a high priest according to this order. Well, if you have a look at it, notice what happened here. What happened? He had just conquered these kings. And he had taken spoil as well as rescuing his family. In other words, he got more than he expected. He increased. Everybody say he increased. And he comes to Melchizedek. Now, king of Salem literally means the king of peace. The king of peace. Now, who do you know to be the king of peace? That would be Jesus. And he brought out bread and wine. What's bread and wine? Those are covenant emblems. We use them for communion today. And then he spoke. A blessing. What do we know about a blessing? A blessing is an impartation. It is a spoken word that when that word is spoken, it activates in your life. That's why we must be very cautious about what we say to people. Because when we speak, those words have effect. And he says, blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemy into your hands. So what has he done? He has spoken a blessing. What's the response? Abram gives Melchizedek a tithe of all. Everybody say a tithe. Now that is the tenth part. The word tithe... You go look it up in the Hebrew, it means one tenth. Under the Strong's number 4643, it literally means one tenth. Everybody say one tenth. It's not a religious term. It's not a legal term. It's simple mathematics. 10%. Everybody say 10%. How many of you did kind of math at school? Now don't switch off now. Some people you who mention math, they so just go, that wasn't me. Uh, it, what, what's 10% of 1,000? How are you so quick? For those that may be slower, it's easy. You just take the last digit away. That's a real easy way of doing it. Amen? So even a number like 3,750, what's 10%? Just take the last digit away, 375. What you learn in church, it's amazing. So he gave Melchizedek one-tenth of all. Amen. Now, this concept, if this is the order that Jesus is called after, what, what do we see? Communion, the blessing, and the tithe. Everybody say, communion, the blessing, and the tithe. Now verse 21, the king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. Now he went one step too far, this king. This is not Melchizedek, this is the other king. But Abraham said to king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth. Now, when did he raise his hand? He just did with the tithe. Come on, you've got to see this. Abraham says, you're blessed. And he names him possessor of heaven and earth. Abraham picks up on that and he gives him a tithe not to get blessed because he is blessed. And after doing that, the king of Sodom gets in and thinks, let me make Abraham rich. Let him think it's from me. I'm going to give him permission to have this stuff. Abraham immediately stops and says, no. And he raises his hand. He says, I've raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth. I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap that I will not take anything that's yours, lest you say, I made Abraham Oh, you got to get a hold of that. You see, if we're thinking from a carnal, fleshly nature, it's like, okay, I've tithed. I should get everything now. No, he didn't tithe to get stuff. He tithed to position himself. And when he said, I'm under God, and then a man steps in and makes it look like he's going to enrich him, he says, no, the attitude here is wrong. I'd rather say, no. Because I know because I'm under God's hand, he will make me rich. I will not allow anyone to say that they made Abraham rich. I'm trusting you. Hallelujah. Is that good news? Now, that helps answer the question whether tithing is under the law. Because Yeah, we see Abraham 645 years before the law was given. This, this event is like that was when God had already blessed him. I know Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, verse 17, he says, the law, which was 430 years later. Now that 430 years comes from the time that Joseph was made head in Egypt, and then some years he was in operation, and of course he passed away, and then the other pharaohs came in, and then Uh, Israel landed up under bondage for 430 years. I don't have time to study the whole timelines there, but what the word is saying is that God, when he spoke to Abraham, he was speaking to his seed, the children of Israel, but it wasn't activated until they were in bondage. Then God steps in and begins this process. And that's where Paul quotes the 430 years later, the law cannot annul the covenant. So what God had already established under covenant, the law didn't change. That's what it's saying. So the law didn't change what was under covenant. It was confirmed before God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect. If the inheritance is of the law, it's no longer a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. In other words, when the law came, it didn't stop the concepts of the Covenant promise. So we understand that the tithe was introduced under the law. Now let's have a look at that because it's important to know it so that we can see how to take this into our new covenant understanding. Leviticus chapter 27, it says verse 30, All the tithe of the land, how much? Whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree is the Lord's, it is? Holy to the Lord. What's holy mean? Set apart. sanctified. It is holy. What does that mean? God considers it a supremely holy thing. The tithe is the Lord's. Everybody say that. If the tithe is the Lord's, I no longer talk about my tithe. God identified, now how much of the income is God's tithe? He said, all. Isn't that right? So even an unsaved person, if they have any produce, any income, the tithe is still the Lord's. It doesn't just become God's because now you're a Christian. In other words, whatever the land produces, God considers the first 10% is. Everybody say it's holy. If a man wants to at all redeem any of his tithes, he shall add one-fifth to it. What does that mean? In other words, he, he's, he's, he has to, let's say he's going to, one of his tithes is this sheep. It's a prized sheep, but he doesn't want to kill it. He, doesn't, he wants to lose it. He's allowed to keep the sheep if he converts it to finances. But then he must add 20% to it. In other words, the sheep, that's the holy, that's the tithe. But if you're going to give it in finances, add 20%. to it. That's what kind of, in other words, he wants to buy back the sheep to keep it for himself. It's the Lord's already, but I would like to have it for myself. That's okay. Then give equivalent plus 10, 20%, one-fifth. Uh, also, if for any reason a purpose, a person uses the tithe for their own purpose, God says it's still my tithe, it must still be returned, but because you used it, you add 20% to it. That's what it means by redeem. Okay? Verse 32: Concerning the tithe of the herd of the flock, whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. He shall not inquire whether it's good or bad, neither shall he exchange it. If he exchanges it at all, then both it and the one exchanged for it shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. So there again, it's not about me deciding. Because God's dealing with hot attitudes here. And that's a lot of what it's got to do with it. So in other words, what they would do is they would take all the new sheep. They'd, yeah, they go. The tithe belongs to the Lord. That count. One, two, three, four, five, six. Tenth one. Pull him out. Oi. That's the prior's one. He says, okay, well, I'll keep that for myself. God says, okay, that one and the next one is now the time. You see, that's what he's saying. No, we don't decide whether it's good or bad. It's it's just the decision. It belongs to God. So God's establishing something here under law. Now You know, the question might be, but this was talking about fruit and seeds and flocks. You know, they they didn't speak about money at that moment or finances, because today we tithe finances. Isn't that right? But remember, this is the same word. That word tithe, everyone say tithe, is the same Hebrew word, ma'asar. Everyone say ma'asar. You speak Hebrew. Now, ma'asar means one-tenth. That's the 10% that we were talking about. So this word tithe used here under the law is exactly the same word used under Abraham. Because some people say, well, Abraham just gave a tenth and this is the legal tithe of the temple. No, it's the same word. Everybody say the same word. So now you understand when it came to Abraham, it wasn't just flocks and herds or seed. He's, it was all the spoils of war. Everybody say spoils of war. In fact, if you have a look at Genesis chapter 28, we see Jacob, verse 20, making a vow. Everybody say a vow. It says, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat, clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God, and the stone which I've set as a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Of all that you give me. See, it's not just grain or seed or flocks. Whatever you give me. Now, we've already studied vow. I'm not going to take time here today. But understand, a vow is when you've got nothing, but you draw on a future harvest. And by drawing on a future harvest, you're obligated to complete it, to keep the balance in the kingdom. You understand? So when he made this vow, he says, Anything you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Now, it's interesting. The Hebrew used there, you go and do a word study, you'll find that the word surely... And the word tenth are both the same word. It's asar. Now, asar is the tenth, but it means 10%. So, yeah, he says, I will asar, asar, whatever you give to me. What's he saying? That's, that's a Hebrew way. Whenever you see a word said twice in Hebrew, it's assuredly. When Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, if he was speaking Hebrew, he would use the same word twice. That's the way they would emphasize. We say, assuredly, I'm telling the truth now, I promise you. No, he would just say, I asar asar. Other words, I'm tithing, I'm tithing. That's how that's how Solid it was. Are you with me? So he's saying to God, if you look after me and you give me, I will surely I'm I'm gonna tithe. I'm gonna make sure you get ten percent. Now you understand that that's not in order to buy God's blessing. He was drawing by faith on what he didn't yet have. So now that we've had just a brief concept, let's go to Hebrews chapter 7. Let's continue and see what the writer has to say about this Melchizedek. He says, this Melchizedek, the king of Salem, everybody say peace. He's the priest of the God, the most high God. He met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and he blessed him. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. Now we see the same word used in the New Testament. How many of you know the New Testament wasn't written in Hebrew? This particular portion was written in Greek. And the Greek word used here is the Strong's number 1181, which is the word decate. Decate. Now you'll recognize the dec part. Uh, You know what a decathlon is? It's ten events. Uh, You talk about a decimeter, decimal system. It's the system of ten. So decate is one tenth. Everybody say one tenth. Yeah, we see that he's talking about Abraham bringing that tenth. Verse 2, Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, then king of Salem, meaning king of peace, now listen to this. This is now Melchizedek. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. What's Paul writing here by revelation? Now some people question whether Paul was the author. I believe he was. It's just based on the writing style and based on the revelation that was coming. That's just a scholarly thing. but The point I'm making here is I'm going to use the word Paul. If you don't think Paul wrote it, that's fine. We can still be friends. I'm not going to argue. Amen. So he's saying here, this man Melchizedek had no mother, no father, had no lineage. He just arrived on the scene one day, and then one day we didn't see him anymore. Now I must ask, who was that? Well, it says here, that he remains a priest forever, like the Son of God. It's interesting. Some do believe that this was Jesus manifesting for that moment, before he received his earthly body that he was born into, for the purpose of going to the cross. Why? To establish a priesthood. Now, whether that is the case or it was another man is irrelevant to the concept. The concept is that now consider how great, verse 4, this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. Now, listen to this. Indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. So again, if somebody's saying that uh, the tithe of Abraham was different to the tithe of the, the law, no, here the writer's putting it together. It's the same way Abraham tithed to the priest, but today they're tithing to the Levites, the priesthood of today, written at that time. So, verse 6. He whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Yeah, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. What's he saying? This is stepping over into the realm of the spirit again, where Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the world, but then it played out in the natural. In other words, when God looks at something, when you are baptized, you are literally entering the grave 2,000 years ago when Jesus was buried. And when he came out three days later, the moment you come out the water of baptism, three seconds later, you were in the grave for three days and you rose up into eternal life the same way Jesus is. You understand it all? That's how God sees things. He doesn't look at TikTok time, he he looks at this concept of all time. So, the same way, why does the priest of the Levite receive a tithe? Because in that action, his Having been born from a father, born from a father, born from a father, came out of Abraham. He was already in Abraham's body. In concept, seed of seed. And so when when Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, he literally tithed for all mankind. He started something that God took as a principle and he would continue using. So now he establishes that that when you bring the tithe in, you're activating that same blessing that Abraham walked in. Blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. But you notice it doesn't just fall on anybody. It fell on the one that brought the tithe in. And he's saying, yeah, mortal men receive tithes. So he's bringing the two together. By an action of tithing today, you are activating that tithe that Abraham did to Melchizedek. Now it says here in verse 8, yeah, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. The Passion Translation puts it this way, although the Jewish priests Received tithes, they all died, they were mortal, but Melchizedek lives on. Are you getting what Paul is saying here? He's saying that Melchizedek didn't die. But he lives on. Why would God say, I call you as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek? Because that's his ministry. That's what he's called to do. He is the one that blesses. He's the one that imparts the blessing. And yeah, he says, as Levites receive the tithe, Malchisedek is still receiving it. What does that mean? When you bring your tithe to the Lord, you are doing it in physical, in the natural TikTok time of today. But in that moment, you are tithing. Through Abraham to Melchizedek. And yeah, Jesus still lives. The one without genealogy. The one without father or mother. Jesus the Christ. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. He took on flesh for his earthly ministry, but he still lives. And he's forever the king of Salem. So the moment you bring the tithe and it's through the loins of Abraham to Melchizedek in spirit... Jesus today is still receiving your tithe. Oh, come on, give Jesus praise. If You get a hold of that. So someone might say, but then what about tithing under the law? Well, Galatians 3 verse 19 says, what purpose does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. Still the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. But before faith came, we were kept under God by the law, kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. After faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Isn't that interesting? See, that's the purpose, family. We've had a look at it in very different ways. Uh, different contexts Today, have a look at it under the context of law where the tithe is. How many understand God wants you blessed? And he blesses first. The tithe is not what gets you blessed. If anyone's ever taught that, then that, that would be inaccurate because the tithe is not what makes you blessed. The Bible's quite clear on that. Let's have a look at that. Galatians 3 verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. It's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Why? That the, interesting wording, the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. How? In Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So Here you can see that you, the moment you're born again, you are blessed. Say that the moment I'm born again, I am blessed. So you can imagine Melchizedek now as Christ, the moment you're born again, declaring over you, blessed be Alan, whoever your name is. Amen. Blessed be. You getting that? Of God Most High. Possessor of heaven and earth. So now he's spoken the blessing. You are blessed. So you understand that you don't tithe to get blessed. You're not tithing under legal obligation. No one has to tithe. It's not a legal obligation. No one has to be born again. It's it's entirely by choice whether a person decides to be saved or not. There was no one's going to hell because God sent them there. Our own son sent us to hell. And God doesn't force anyone to get saved, but he says he would have that none should perish, and he's given us every way possible to get us to the place of salvation, that if we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, you're born again. You, you're taken out of hell, and you're delivered into heaven. Praise God. That's by faith. the same way, no one has to tithe, but God does want you blessed. So how do I see that blessing that's already in me manifesting? Well, there's what Abraham did. He lived the life as a tither. He taught it to his children, Isaac, and of course, Jacob understood the principle as well. But we didn't know that. How did we learn it? Because it was put into the law as a tutor. God wanted to keep the children of Israel who were sinful by nature as we were, and they could not be born again, but He still wanted them blessed. So here's the principle of the concept. And like we began reading earlier, as we started today, the giving of the law didn't annul the original promise. So if the law introduces tithing, and then we do away with that because now we're born again, we're no longer under the law. But then what happens to the promise? Now the law didn't switch that off. It was a tutor. So we understand. I didn't know what it meant to be generous. I thought giving 10 rand was generous. Are you with me? But that was my fallen nature. So I had to be born again. And then as a born again child of God, I received the instruction from the tutor now I understand and I recognize the tithe is not to buy the blessing, I am blessed. And out of a place of grace, when I bring that tithe before the Lord, it's to honor him, to thank him for everything that he has done. And in doing that, I'm acknowledging that I recognize the promise that was put on Abraham. I have now tithe through him to Melchizedek, my high priest Jesus. Receives the tithe. And I walk in the fullness of the blessing. Amen. But you understand, I want to, you understand the the, the concept is I wanted to get across to you that under the new covenant, what's Abraham saying, because that's the same promise, is that once you have tithe, no man can control you using finances anymore. You've entered into your jubilee. You've entered into your rest. The moment you lay that tithe down, it's saying, I have no need of man. I have God most high who looks after me. Hallelujah. Come on, give Jesus praise if you've got a hold of that. Amen.